Welcome, everyone. Welcome to the last episode of Soccer Knocked Football for the year 2020. By the time you hear this, uh, 2020 will be long behind us. Thank God. It's been a tough year, and we're looking forward uh, to new surroundings. Am I right, Daniel? Yeah, absolutely. 2020 definitely presented its challenges, but there was still a lot of soccer played and still a lot of talking points, and we'll hope to to get into some of that today. Yeah, it's crazy when like the um, when all the leagues shut down in the beginning, we didn't think like when will it return, and now it has, and still the fi- still the pandemic is ongoing, and some parts are getting worse. Um, we don't even know like some if some seasons will be able to continue, too. So it's definitely interesting um, to see that unfold in 2021, possibly. But as they say, the show must go on. So it's it's gonna keep on rolling. There is money to be played. That's why <laughs> those owners can't miss out on that on that sweet sweet money. So, but their um, greed is our gain, apparently. So let's go straight into it. So um, the seasons ha- season has been halfway played, and we are getting like a good glimpse of who are the contenders, who are the pretenders, and which teams are going to be fighting for their um, fighting for their lives in the top uh, five European leagues. And uh, even though, and um, the more things change. In this year, the more things stay the same because Liverpool finished the year, uh, finished 2019, top of the league. And now they are going to end 2020, top of the league again. So do you think this might be Liverpool's year, uh, uh, Liverpool's chance to repeat? I mean, right now they sit top. Um, Their closest competitors are the Manchester clubs. Man United sits three points back. But they do have a game in hand. Uh, Manchester City sits nine points back or seven points back currently, but they have two games in hand. So if they win those two games, they would be one point behind. And I mm-hmm. think those are going to be their Liverpool's main two contenders. Uh, Liverpool have sustained some injuries this year, but they've managed to, to fight their way through them. They've looked really good, but they've dropped points against teams at the bottom of the table, uh, tied against Newcastle, tied against West Brom. And I think that might end up costing them in the end. If uh, you throw away two points like that against the bottom feeders, it, it'll eventually come back to bite you. So I think, I think one of the Manchester clubs are going to overtake them this year. I just think the injuries are going to catch up to them. Klopp runs his team into the ground, and the players are going to get tired eventually. They've been playing the same squad for like the last two and a half years. A lot of those players play a lot of minutes, and they're only human. They're eventually going to get tired. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Like, with all the injuries that they have, they're still been able to uh, bypass the rest of the competition. And there is a lot of competition. Um, like, the points between um, first and um, tenth is ten points. Um, and if you go, like, it's there's like a ten point difference between like who's first and who's in the bottom of the top table, top half of the table, and 
that's the fact that Liverpool has been able to mostly hold them off um, despite their injuries really just shows like how deep or how well run they are at this point. And who knows? Like you, like you said, like it may not last. Uh, they may it might get the better of them. But just imagine like how good it would they would be if uh, Van Dijk was still there, their center backs were still there, if they weren't dealing with constant injuries. Like how far would that? How big would that gap would be? And we won't know for sure. Um, I do want to give an apology to any. Manchester United um, fans out there, listeners, I clowned y'all pretty hard, and now I am paying for it. Um, with uh, Chelsea's current form, um, so this is how it feels to be. All I I understand, uh, but looks like Ole uh, has gotten United into a good run of form, and. Um, they look like they look like a rejuvenated team, and that's definitely uh, due to the impact of Bruno Fernandez um, and Marcus Rashford um, really helping the team um, power through, get through those tough um, tough matches where they always seem to fall behind and then come back. Um, they might seem like actual contenders, uh, but. Like you said, there's still a lot of football to be played, so we'll see. I think going forward, they definitely have the squad to win the league, but their defense is just not consistent enough with the Harry Maguire and either Bailly or Lindelof in the back. Those guys just aren't quite uh, good enough, in my opinion. So mm-hmm. their defense is always going to be kind of risky, and that's what's going to be the big question mark The the second half of the year for them. If, if they, if those guys can play a little bit better and clean up some of their mistakes and not give away easy penalties, easy goals, then I think United's chances go up dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. And Man City, they're having, they've been kind of been under the radar, but they're still, you can, you can never like count them out. Uh, in anything. They've been consistent in winning trophies. Pep has, Found a way to get at least one piece of silverware um, every year. So, um, you know, you never know. Um, don't count on Man City. And Tottenham seemed rejuvenated. Um, they got, they've been going through a little bit of struggles, um, losing a little bit of form. Um, who knows if they might be able to sustain it. They have the squad to, make, to potentially make a title run. But can it actually happen? We'll see. And then with um, Chelsea, good old Chelsea, um, they were actually top of the table, but then ever since that point, their form has fallen dramatically. Um, Their big money um, signs, their big money um, signings, uh, Kai Havertz, Timo Warner have been struggling to adapt to the Premier League. I'm not uh, producing the way their um, their price tag kind of warrants. And then uh, Hakim Ziyech uh, has been injured as well, so he hasn't had that much opportunity to really showcase his skill. And even the top performers from last season, like Pulisic, um, 
Hudson Doy, uh, Abraham, David, and Mount. Um, they are they've been trying to find a way to like make something happen. There's not much creativity going over there as well, um, and that was really an indictment with that Arsenal loss um, as well. Uh, that was a tough, uh, a t- obviously a tough loss uh, to a clearly struggling Arsenal side uh, who have their own sets of problems, um, uh, threatening with uh, rel- in the bottom half of the table for, a, uh, for the better half of the season so far. I think a lot of people have wanted to write off Havertz and Werner, Werner already, um, calling them bust and kind of already throwing them in the trash. But whenever you come to over to a new league, it's always going to be an adjustment period. They've only played – Chelsea's only played 16 games. Uh, I know Havertz uh, got COVID and was out for a while. Um, he's still recovering from that. So I don't want to completely write them off both just yet, but – Lampard's not really playing them in their best position, so I think that's also another reason why they've been struggling. Their best wing player has still been Pulisic, in my opinion. He's still been their their best winger, partly because ZX's been hurt, but also just because Pulisic's been been good. He hasn't really been getting the assist and the goals uh, that he was after the restart last year, so maybe his numbers don't look as good, but if you watch the games, he's really one of the only players out there driving the ball forward and not just lumping in across from the side. He's actually trying to break down the defense and try, try to take people on and combine and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, if they keep, if this form continues, um, there's going to be questions asked with uh, Lampard, uh, who is the coach. Um and I don't see Chelsea Football Club um, tolerating another trophyless a trophyless season in a row. If he doesn't produce any type of silverware, then I feel like they're going to replace him with someone who can. He's certainly on the hot seat. He's much more on the hot seat now than he was at the start of the season. Yeah, because like that first season was kind of of a. Um, just a test run, you know, because we were on a transfer ban and we had uh, – it was more of a transition period. But now that he got the players that he wanted, he has to start performing. He has to get the best out of them. And losing to Arsenal isn't going to do that. And speaking of Arsenal, um, looks like they might be getting back. Um, they picked up a little bit of a decent run. Um, do you think uh, they might claw back to the – um, uh, to to the top half, or like might even challenge for some of the European spots. No, not to challenge for Europe. They they've won two games in a row after looking terrible for the first half of the year. So I think we need to slow our slow our horses on Arsenal for a second. They definitely have played better, but it's gone from absolutely terrible to just barely mediocre. Because even if you look at that Chelsea game, a couple of those goals, not that they were fluke goals, but one was a soft penalty, another was a nice free kick, and another was a a chip for the keeper that was probably a cross. So it's not like 
those things are sustainable and it arsenal shouldn't be proud of finishing top half that's not what a club of that size should be should be wanting to to finish at so maybe because of the terrible start they had that that would be an accomplished for them accomplishment for them but i even if they do finish top half that's not that's not good that's not a positive sign for arteta and arsenal fans Mm-hmm. especially after the positive progress that they had with the FA Cup win and the Community Shield win. And it was looking scary for them a little bit, um, being so close to the um, relegation zone. And um, it's looking like, so far, Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield, they're the ones in danger right now. Um, do you see that changing? I certainly think you can pencil in Shef- or pen in Sheffield for going down. They've got two points through 16 games. That's not going to get it done on any level. The other two teams definitely have been struggling as well and are probably the the next two candidates to also go back down. Yeah. So, um, who do you think is going to take it by the end of the by the end of May? The championship. Yep. He's going to win. If I had to bet on it, I would probably say – I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm probably saying Manchester United. I know that might shock some people, but I think they've they've kind of turned a corner and they got something special brewing, and especially if they can get a player or two in, in this winter transfer window like they got Bruno last year's – and like they got Bruno in last year's winter transfer window, I think they can – they can really push for the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't see I as much as I see Liverpool repeating. I want to go out on their limb. Uh, there's been a lot of tough competition with Leicester and Everton taking the other um, in the top four as well, um, compared to the regular um, like top six teams that we're used to, and then also like Southampton and uh, West Ham just um, uh, still still in the mix as well. And Aston Villa as well. And um, I'm going to go with an outside pick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to pick Tottenham. I think um, Jose has is building something there, and as and soon as he figures that out, they're going to be unstoppable. I've seen I him work at Chelsea and um, some of the – and the squad uh, with Kane and Son and um, – and Bale, whenever he can play regularly, they might be – they're going to be deadly uh, trio. I just think they rely a little too much on Son and Harry Kane. If one of those guys picks up an injury, it's not going to be looking great for them. So I, I think that's the only thing that really worries me about Spurs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't see Leicester repeating uh, point in 2016. Everton, they might have a challenge. Uh, Ancelotti – is a content Ancelotti can will team to a win any day of the week. Aston Villa is a easy contender for like a team that'll fade in, fade away throughout the season. But um, this is a this is like the tightest you know we've seen the title race in a while. So I'm excited to see how it goes. Yeah, there's like four or five teams who, if they get hot and get a good run of games, that can really make a challenge for the title. Mm-hmm. which hasn't been able to say the last couple of years because it's either been Man City running away with it or Liverpool running away with it. Yep. Yep. 
Now, moving on from England, uh, which has its own sets of problems if there could be a season to be finished, um, to Spain, where we go to La Liga. Uh, we assess the situation over there with Atletico Madrid on top with two games in hand. Um, so they definitely have a, an opportunity to make their lead stretch. And um, right behind them is Real Madrid, um, who had had his shared struggles in the Champions League, had some losses here and there. And then we have some um, uh, – we have a surprise uh, contender, Real Sociedad. Um, and then we have Sevilla right behind them. So – who do you think is missing from this list? Uh, a team called Barcelona is not there right now. Oh yeah, yeah, they're fighting for uh, their their Europe their European lives right now. You know, right now they're currently six. Um, they have definitely had their struggles, uh, not just with Messi, just with other players, with coaching. It's. Uh, there hasn't been that many bright spots for Barcelona since um, they saw Bayern, A2. One of those bright spots, though, has been Sardinho Dest, the American mm-hmm. right back. Yep. Who has been uh, performing, has been starting in game playing time, so that's always a positive for a team like Barcelona. Um, and But doesn't look like he'll be challenging for a title um, this year. And um, with Messi's uh, contract situation, it's just going to be even more murky. I mean, I think this is really Atletico's year to lose. If they can't win the title this year, then there's not really going to be a year for them to win it. Barcelona's definitely struggling, and they got a pretty decent lead on Real right now. They're up two points, but as you said, they got two games in hand. So if they win those two games, they could push it up to eight points. And that's a pretty sizable lead. Um, Mm. Real just tied against Elche, who were down at the bottom of the table yesterday. And if Atletico can capitalize on that, they're, they're sitting pretty right now. They've only conceded five goals in 14 games this year. Diego Simeone's got them playing really good defense like they always do. Uh, they did just release Diego Costa. Uh, he's kind of a, a hothead figure. So I don't think they're really going to end up missing him. They got Suarez. They got Jao Felipe. They're not really going to miss him. But I think it's it's theirs to lose. Yeah. You know, it just seems I can't trust Atletico. I mean, like you said, like Diego Simeon is a great coach. Um, but they ha- they seem to have that mentality of like folding when the moment like gets gets too great. And I've seen that in their Champions League finals. I've seen that Champions League uh, semi uh, quarterfinal that they had with um, Lesbig. Um, they can't even take that opportunity. I would love for them to take that opportunity, but I can't. I feel like Real is going to overtake them. Um, I think. Um, so then we'll find a way to get it together, and then um, they coast. They then they uh, it might be tighter than like in previous years. Uh, it might not be like uh, Barcelona they'll be fighting against with. It'll be Atletico, but I think um, they'll be able to uh, pull a repeat. I think yeah, I think 
Atletico play better when they're the underdogs and then the team that's not expected to to come out and take the game by the neck as opposed to when they're the thought to be the the dominating team and we'll we'll see how they they do that being the top dog this second half of the year we'll see Mm -hmm. if they can flip the script of, of years past yeah and then um some surprises um valencia is nearly they're nearly facing relegation um only saved by goal difference um do you think um, uh, that the teams who are down in the bottom, uh, they're, they're stuck there? It's pretty uh, – not – there's a pretty um, close gap uh, between um, most of the bottom half and then the um, – and then that last relegation spot. Yeah, I knew Valencia sold off a bunch of players these last couple of years. They've had trouble on the, on the business side with their team. So they had to, to sell players just to avoid bankruptcy. That's part of the reason why Yunus Musa has been getting a lot of minutes for them just because he's a young player, he's cheap and they don't really have anyone else. And mm-hmm. that's why they're 17th right now. Yeah. Only saved by goal difference. I think a team of that size will be able to, to save themselves. Um, the bottom teams in Spain usually are, are pretty weak and it would be a great shock if Valencia were were relegated. Last year, they were just in the Champions League, and to be one year removed from that to go to uh, the second division in Spain would be a real disappointment. Yeah, yeah. And then going going over to Germany, where we know the team who has been in Champions League and who has he doesn't is a team that isn't doesn't look able to save themselves. And I think you know which team I'm talking about. Bayern München. Yeah. No, Schalke. Oh, you're talking at the other end of the table. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they are – no – they have not won a single game since the start of the season. They have four points to their name. Um, do you think that they're – uh, that their grave has been dug at this point. It's it's looking real rough for Schalke. Yeah, they they've dug themselves a deep hole, and they're gonna have to start turning it around now if they want to get out of it. They they sold probably their their best player in McKinney this summer, and as you can see, I'm glad he got out of there because I think he'd still be playing hard for them, but I don't think he would have made much a difference for them. He's not really you can't make up for the lack of talent that's on that team. Mm-hmm. And then um, moving on to uh, Schalke might join Mainz and Armenia Belfield. Um, it's looking like, but it's looking like um, Schalke might move on to the second uh, division. Um, so hopefully, you no, know, they might surprise us. They might not. But moving on to the top of the table, um, we have no surprises there. Bayern Munich, um, but they have Leverkusen right behind them and RP Lesbig as well uh, with Tyler Adams on there. Um, Wolfsburg had, uh, occupies that last uh, Champions League spot and Borussia Dortmund um, kind of disappointing season so far. Um, uh, 
just some bad losses. They fired the coach. Uh, I don't think – I think this might be another missed opportunity for them in terms of the Bundesliga. Missed opportunity how? Just because they're not going to win the title or just because it's another season, another disappointing season? Um, like, obviously, there's still contention for other, like, uh, champion, other, like, competitions. But, you know, I feel, you know, they have won. Like, they've been the last winners who have been Bayern Munich. So, like, they should be challenging, you know, for a league title. That's what they, that's what um, their objective should be, you know, every year. And I think with this uh, firing that they had, um, I was, I would hope that the front office sees that too. Um, and if they want to like cement themselves as, you know, not like a developmental team for like players to develop and then get bought off by Bayern Munich, they're not going to like, they need to be performing like a title winning squad. I think that's just Dortmund's method, though, to to be a development club. They're never going to be a team like Bayern, who just buys up the best players in the world. They're always going to be that that step below that develops really good players, but then sells them on for for a lot of money. I think that's just the way that they roll. Mm-hmm. And this isn't a bad thing. This isn't a bad thing. But I know that you know they uh, they have talented players. You know, Sancho, uh, Holland. Um, that 16-year-old who became the youngest Champions League uh, player ever. So, like, there's talent there. Tufa Makoko, I believe is his name. Yeah. So, there's talent there, and developing is great. But, you know, if that's what they want to do, they want to just have them on a certain period of time and not commit a legacy of their own, then who am I to, who am I to argue? You know, if that business model works for them, then go ahead. I mean, it is kind of difficult when you have probably the best team in the world at the moment, also in your mm-hmm. league in Bayern Munich, who are just an absolute powerhouse. It's it's always going to be their league to lose until someone can prove that they can overtake them. Yeah, they are. They and this are year, I don't Patri- think it's going to be any different. Yeah, they are the Patriots of um, Germany. Yeah, they do have some challengers. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do have some challengers though. Um, with Leverkusen and Leipzig, do you think any of them might might be making a run? I think uh, Leipzig could give them uh, a good run for their money. They've got a deep team, a lot of good players. Maybe not the the top top players that Bayern have, but they have a, a deep squad of maybe sixteen or seventeen guys who are who are solid. Uh, Leverkusen, it's really surprising that they're up there in second right now. They sold off two of their probably best attacking players this summer, and uh, Kai Havertz and Kevin Volland. And most people thought they would struggle without them because that was uh, a lot of their goals and assists from last year. But they're right up at the top of the table right now, and I think that's a team who probably isn't going to be able to sustain it. I think they're they're going to fall off, and I think. Dortmund might make a charge back up to the top. They've had Holland out for a lot of the year, and getting him back is is really key. And if they can get a coach in there who who can get the best out of those players and 
if Sancho can actually start scoring and you have Gio Reyna on the other wing who's who's been producing and links up well with Holland. I think I think they can sneak back into it. I think they might be a little too far behind Bayern right now. Eight points back. That's that's a pretty big gap that they gotta close, but there's still a lot of season left, a lot of games to be won. And I wouldn't count them out just yet. Like, cause if you look to last season, Bayern were, were struggling for a lot of the season. They fired their coach. They brought in Hansi Flick and they didn't lose a game. So I'm not saying that's going to happen to Dortmund, but you can't ever count a team out even when they look uh, really bad. Yeah. So you say Arsenal still has a chance. <laughs> No, Arsenal don't, doesn't have a chance. They they definitely don't. They don't have anywhere near the the good players that Dortmund does. All right, so moving on to a team that has a legitimate chance, um, which they didn't, didn't have for for a while. Um, moving on to Italy, we have Milan um, on top of the league. Um, and right behind them is Inter Milan, um, and then Roma, and then Sassio. And then um, Napoli and Juventus occupy those Euro- uh, Europa spots. Um, uh, like, enough has been said about Milan and their turnaround um, since Slatan has arrived. Um, it's been a great uh, – it's been – he's really fired up the team to new heights or to the past glories of before. And he, and the team is undefeated right now. They have, they were undefeated all 2020 and not, no other team can say that. And I don't see them uh, slowing down. I think Milan is going to take it this year. They definitely look poised to, to make that jump. Uh, the last couple games, they've been able to do it without Zlatan. He's been injured, and other guys have stepped up. Rafael Leal, Haka, and Shalanoglu. Those guys have, have really elevated their games and, and stepped up when, when he hasn't been there. And if they can get Ibra back and he can maintain the the form that he's in, I don't see why they can't win it. The Juve has been struggling this year. They've already They've only lost one game, but they've already got six draws. And that's why they find themselves 10 points back. Uh, Inter Milan only, are only a point behind AC. So I think that's their, their main rival for this title. It's going to be one of the two Milans. And I think Inter, Inter do have the better players. They got Lukaku. They got Sanchez and Lautaro Martinez and a bunch of savvy veterans in the midfield and defense. And I think them getting knocked out of Champions League will help them because now they can focus solely on the league games. So when they're playing, you know, those mid-table, bottom-table teams, they don't have to, to rest guys for the Champions League. They can play their full squad and and go balls to the wall for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I did want to mention um, Atalanta uh, last year's um, darling um, for – uh, who made the Champions League and uh, made it again. Um, they're struggling a little bit as well, as is Lazio, uh, nearing the bottom of the table. Um, but I think we have our top, like, these six teams are going to be um, challenging. Um, these these eight teams 
are going to be really challenging, challenging for spots, um, challenging for those uh, six European spots. And, um, yeah, interesting to see if uh, Milan can uh, win back um, Serie A, which they haven't done in at least a decade. Yeah, Serie A is much more wide open this year than it usually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually it's much more rigid. There's like two, maybe three teams that are challenging for the title. Then uh, there's like a step below that. There's two or three teams fighting for Champions League spots. And then below that, there's usually two or three teams fighting for Europa League spots. But this year, it seems like there's six, seven, maybe even eight teams that are that are fighting for those, I'd say, top three spots. I think yeah. Lazio and Atalanta are maybe too far back to – to challenge for the title, but they can def- definitely pick up a good run of form and, and make it back into UEFA Champions League. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's been a Juventus run show. They've won it, what, nine, eight in a row. It's so hopefully someone can break up that, um, that streak. It might, this year might be the year. Um, uh, Pirlo um, hasn't been, Getting the best, you know, um, haven't been finishing off teams, um, haven't, hasn't had that, uh, Juventus has been missing a spark um, since he took over. And definitely it comes uh, from, like, experience. He's a new coach. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, he's not going up to par with uh, the previous Serie A successes uh, Juventus had. I think they rely a little bit too much on Ronaldo to bail him out. That's what he was doing last year. He was able to to bail them out of a lot of games, but you can't always rely on just one player to to solve all your problems. They've they're kind of like their midfield, especially the last three or four years, has taken a dramatic step backwards. Uh, if you remember those Champions League finals that they made, they their midfields were. They had really good players, Marquisio, Vidal, even Pirlo. Um, but this year, their best midfielder has probably been McKinney. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a fan of the USMNT, but he's probably been their their best midfielder. And that's not a knock on McKinney, but he's not the best of the best. He's a good player, and he does a lot of good things for them, but he's not great yet. And I think mm-hmm. that's why we see them sitting in – six right now mm-hmm. yeah i will say a little sidebar mckinney he had won the u.s male player of the year award uh so props to him but uh you're right um you know mckinney is definitely on his way but um you know uh just like him and whoever else uh dominates at midfield is a pale comparison to those who were headlining those uh champions league squads and um, and I think that's like the biggest issue. Um, like the squad was aging. Um, they that's why they offloaded some of the players. Um, uh, Higuain, um, Keen. Um, so the team has definitely got older. And, uh, I think that uh, has contributed as well. And like I said, you can't keep depending on a 34, 35 year old Ronaldo all the time. There's talk that maybe they'll bring back Paul Pogba and that might change their fortunes. I would, I think maybe bringing him back to Italy away from United 
could could rejuvenate him. He seems some games he seems interested, some games he doesn't. But I think if Juve could get a player like that, that that could really turn the tide for them and bring them straight back to the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The transfer window opens tomorrow, so that's a whole nother component we haven't even considered. You know, which players are going to leave, which players are going to move, who will strain their title race, um, and uh, who's going to leave for the big money. So definitely a lot to consider while the season is ongoing. And then speaking of big money, um, a big money team in France, um, they've been – uh, it's a little bit of a dogfight than they expected um, compared to last year and how far they went in the Champions League. Um, I'm talking about Paris Saint-Germain, of course. Uh, they are behind uh, Leon and Lille. Um, they're in third place. And then right behind them is uh, Rennes and um, Marseille, as well as Monaco, and a bunch of other contenders as um trying to get get those last European spots as as well. Yeah, PSG just fired their coach, Thomas Tuchel. He mm-hmm. wasn't able to save his job. And I think I heard reports that they brought in Mauricio Pochettino, but I'm not sure if that's been confirmed or not. Yeah. It, it yeah, has think, been confirmed. I think they're still ironing out the details. Um, it looked confirmed to me when I heard the news, but it's been dragging out for a while. Um, I would say Pochettino, um, they would definitely give him a boost. Um, he might offer something that Tucho wasn't giving. He was a former PSG player. Um, he did good work with Tottenham um, when he was there um, and really helped them try to become like a team who had the title-winning aspirations to sack him <laughs> when he wasn't getting it done. Um, so... Um, working with him, working with Neymar and Mbappe, and <coughs> and um, you know uh, that that talent. Um, even though those are like the two singular talents, two like not not to say there's not talent in PSG, but like those two are in a league of their own. To really try to get the best out of them, and try to get the best out of their defense, and and just trying to wean them off, you know those two superstars because that's what really like suffered. That's what they really suffered in that Champions League final. They could have won it, but um, once Bayern scored, it was turned into the Mbappe and Neymar show and it wasn't a show no one wanted to watch. So, Also, don't sleep on Lyon. They, they proved that their Champions League semifinal appearance last year wasn't a fluke. They, they've rebounded quite well from it. They're top of the table right now and they've got really good depth. And I think they're they're proving that France is no longer just a one team league. Yeah. Same with and, same with Leo. Uh mm-hmm. they've brought in a couple of new signings this year. They've the last couple of games they finally started playing Tim Weah and he's actually scoring goals for them. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Who would have yeah. thought? If you put a winger in a winger position, you know, you might you might get some goals from him. Who, who knows? Yeah. And instead of playing Jonathan David, who's scored one goal in 14 games, you know, try someone else out there, and you might actually get some different results. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I'm glad to see uh, Wea um, producing and making contribution and helping his case um, for the U.S. Uh, as well. Um, he had a tough season last year with injuries, really just like derailed it. And so good to see him going back there and moving on from PSG to really, you know, step out on his own and like get some legitimate playing time. I still think it's PSG's title to lose. I mean, when you're when you're that talented of a squad and you spend that much money, you're always going to be favorites. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is the year that they they get knocked off. I, Pretty sure Neymar is hurt. Not sure for how long, but I know if they don't have both Neymar and Mbappe, it's definitely tougher with one superstar than with two. Yeah. I think with the new coach, um, he'll help guide some of the um, issues that were plaguing Tuchel and that got him fired because, you know, they're only um, a couple, they're only a point behind. And once they start on win run, they're gonna take it. So that has been the top of top five leagues. Um, um, who has been contending? Who has been pretending? Um, who has been the starter? Who's been on the sub? And um, who's way out of the stadium? <coughs> Arsenal. So um, we're gonna move things a little stateside and um, give you a little recap of the MLS Cup. Um, so the MLS Cup ha- is the uh, main um, competition in MLS where the two top teams from each conference uh, fight um, uh, during the playoffs um, to uh, win the season trophy. And we had the Columbus crew and the Seattle Sounders. And uh, who who um, who won again? Uh, the crew won three 0 pretty dominating fashion. Yeah. Over Sounders. Mm-hmm. They did it yeah, without. Did you see that game? Yeah, they did. They did it without two main starters. Uh, both of them picked up COVID ta- COVID right before the game, a couple of days before. So it was it was a really impressive game from them. They came out from the start and were the aggressors. They played a 19-year-old in midfield, and he looked like he had been there for 10 years. Yeah, and then uh, both teams were pretty high up. Um, They weren't um, the winners in their um, conferences, but um, those are teams who have had a lot of playoff experience. Um, Seattle has won – has won titles uh, in the years past as well, and so has uh, the crew. Uh, so um, this uh, just really shows, like, the amount of experience that you have in a uh, playoff team. Um, just like I uh, know Europe doesn't have, like, playoffs, uh, but even then we can see, like, you know, the more experienced teams really just, like, contending who are always in the top of the table, and we always see these teams in the playoffs. Right. I think there there would be a lot of people who would argue that the supporter shield is really the main competition in MLS. That's the the best team in the regular season because some people would argue that doing well over however long a season is, five, six, seven, eight months, is more impressive than winning a couple playoff games. But I, I'm not one to make that claim. I think 
if you're going to be the best team, you got to be able to beat the best teams. And that's what the playoffs really shows that, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe during the regular season, you can beat up on the, the lesser teams, the, the middle teams. But when it comes to the playoffs, you're playing the best of the best or you're playing the, the hottest teams going right now. And I think that's what separates the, the good teams from the great teams. Yeah. And speaking of the best team of uh, the Philadelphia Union, they won um, the Supporters Shield and they promptly got bounced out um, by the Revolution, who um, made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. So, like I said, um, you know, I think um, the playoffs gives MLS that like extra quality. You know, it definitely is different from um, European and like really kind of like goes into that American mindset of like, oh, like having playoffs. But, you know, it's definitely – it gives a new perspective of soccer that we don't really see um, it, uh, across the pond. Right, absolutely. I think if – like if you take England, for example, and they played one versus eight, I think if Liverpool was playing whoever an eight seed was pick, like Everton or, mm-hmm. or, you know, Southampton, whatever team happened to be eighth that year – yeah. Liverpool winning would be almost automatic, you know. It would be like 85, 90% of the time the one seed would beat the eight seed. But here in the States, the teams are are less quality, so there's less difference between them. But it, it happens more often than not. Um, yeah. A team gets hot, a team gets healthy in the Revs case. They played a lot of the year without probably their best player, Carlos Hill, and he gets healthy at the right time and he leads them. 10 Eastern Conference Final. Yeah. I think yeah. That's, that's kind of the, the setup a lot of teams are using now. They're, they're spending their money on uh, attacking, attacking midfielders, uh, specifically from Central and South America. If you look at the, the four teams that made the conference semifinals, uh, Lucas Elrayon for the crew from Mexico. Uh, Carlos Hill, uh-huh. he's from, I forget which country he's from, but he's from somewhere in South America. The Sounders have Nicholas Ladero, who's been balling out in MLS for years. He's, he's a machine. That guy runs all over the pitch, and he's able to still play beautiful balls and set up his teammates really well. And then uh, Minnesota United, who is not a big team, not a big market, got Emmanuel Reynoso, who had seven assists this postseason in three games. Seven assists in three games. Absolutely crazy. But it just kind of shows the the template for MLS teams is to spend money on on the attackers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting how, like, you know, a way you reside describing the players and, like, which um, countries they're from. I really feel like – you know, the MLS is representative of what, like, you know, the U.S. should be, you know. And, like, there's it's just, like, a huge melting pot of, like, players who are who grew up stateside and then players who um, who are from um, these Latin American countries, these Spanish countries, um, players from uh, uh, Canada, uh, players from Europe, uh, Africa, um, like, you know, they'll take, you know, they'll take any, not say they'll take anyone, but, you know, um, there's opportunity for players around the world to, um, to showcase. And I think, uh, I think that's one thing that I really appreciate MLS for, for doing. Yeah, they certainly have a, a diverse talent pool 
um, from many different countries. And that's partly because maybe the talent level isn't as high, so they're able to kind of pick and choose players from different countries. But regardless of that, the the talent in MLS has gotten much better, even over the last five years has taken a big step forward because a team like Minnesota United, you know, who is Minnesota a very big market in any other sport? Not really, you know, middle, bottom tier, but they're, they're able to go out and spend seven, eight, nine million on a guy who played for, for Boca Juniors, who's the biggest club or one of the biggest clubs in Argentina. And he's able to say, you know, I don't want to go to Brazil because he also got an offer from Brazil, which was going to pay him more money. And he said, no, I want to go to the United States. I want to go play for Minnesota and play in the MLS. And five years ago, I don't think that happens. Ten years ago, that probably doesn't happen. Twenty years ago, the guy saying America, I don't want to go play soccer in America. They don't even know what that is. Yeah, I think like once uh, David Beckham uh, coming from Real Madrid, to the LA Galaxy back in 26 was really like the catalyst for you know all the international players um moving and like you know seeing MLS as like you know a potential place to play we talk uh, we've been hearing talk about like players like Ronaldo and Messi um the thing about playing the MLS once their careers start to wind down um and we've seen Wayne Rooney play. We've seen Drogba play. Um, we've seen Terry Henry play. Um, Kaka play. Um, so many other plays. I can I can go on. And um, we've seen like accomplished, like really accomplished players. You know, um, showcasing their skills in MLS. And one of them is Zlatan as well. You know, um, leaving from uh, United going to the Galaxy and turning up and then going right back to Milan. Um, and I don't see that happening if Beckham doesn't do that. Like you said, like 20 years ago, like no team would, like no, I don't think an accomplished European player, accomplished, you know, Latin American player would make that jump to the MLS. I mean, that absolutely, you're 100% spot on. That's partly to do that they created a, a David Beckham rule for their salary. Um, basically, you can pay a player, you can play three players on your team, whatever they want, and they don't count against the salary cap. And most of those players you named were were in the twilight of their career, so they're looking to come over, get a big payday, and you know make some money, live a nice life in the United States. And most of those moves are for for P- PR purposes, you know, they're not really trying to look at the most talented players. It's just like, oh yeah, Kaka or whatever. Let's get him over. He'll he'll sell T-shirts. Wayne Rooney, he'll he'll be great for us. Uh, but I think MLS teams are still doing that. There's still definitely that you know retirement league uh, hanger stigma. Stigma. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. There's still that stigma that it's a retirement league, and there's definitely are players who who come over when they're older. But I think the league is starting to shift a little bit as we see, especially this year, all the young players that have been playing, the uh, mm-hmm. the amount of under 23 players that play this year in MLS was off the charts, partly because of COVID. So squads had to be 
widened and you had to play more players, but just because teams are actually taking player development seriously and academies are actually producing players and selling them. You know, 15 years ago, I think academies were just being set up. So you're not going to have great players right away. It takes time to build those things. But clubs who have built those things are now starting to see the fruits of their labors um, come through. Yeah, and uh, we also see in the national team setup as well. Um, Burr Halter, he was a coach at the crew. And so he has that MLS experience. Um, so, like, you know, um, and definitely shown in some of his selections that he has, uh, that he has over the time, um, bringing in people like Cannon and McKenzie, um, who, and who some of them have, you know, uh, did their, did, did their dues in MLS, you know, developed in MLS and then moved on to, um, Europe. And it's interesting, like, oh, you know, like, you know, we don't necessarily have to, even though it's important for our players to move to Europe to like get that elite competition. Um, it's, um, that doesn't mean like we don't have legitimate, we can't have legitimate ballers here. And um, I think with Satan, he showed like, oh, you know, I can still perform in the elite level, either in the MLS and in Europe as well. So I think that gap is honest. It's like steadily, it's steadily closing. It's not, it's, I mean, it's still a big gap, but it is like closing. Yeah, courtesy of Tudor Raman on Twitter, um, this kind of just shows the development of, of MLS and it becoming more of a selling league. From 1999 to 2010, uh, there was only three players, American or not American, that were sold for over $5 million. From 2010 to 2015, there was only one. 2016 and 2017 didn't have any. But 2018 had three players, 2019 had one player, and then 2020 this year had three with the possibility of a couple more players going overseas for over $5 million. So this development is, is very, very recent. Uh, the main two guys that are the poster childs for this are Alfonso Davies and Tyler Adams. Um, and that's what, that's what teams are starting to notice. You know, You kind of have to have those – first couple guys go over and and do well before teams start noticing now yeah. is there going to be other players who are going to be world best 11 like Alfonso Davies after two years no like he's he's a one of a kind he's a special talent that's not going to happen but there are going to be other players like Brendan Aronson or Mark McKenzie who are going to be sold to Belgium and Austria and that's going to be the next step in their career you know they're not going straight to to Arsenal or Chelsea. They're not going to be DeAndre Yedlin getting sold to Tottenham and then not playing for two years. Mm-hmm. But they're going to be sent to Europe to against better competition with better systems and better scouting so other teams can notice them. And then maybe they make that next step in their career. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a great sign for MLS that, you know, they're still not able to sell to the – to the big boys of the world, but they're now creeping into that international market where players will start to, to get noticed and 
be able to use that as a next step in their career. Yeah, because pretty much the only American players growing up, I think, who would play in Europe are Donovan and um, and Dempsey and then Altador. But Altador flamed out. Um, and then we still have Tim Timbry. And um, it's like those those were our those were our bar. That was our bar right there. Like that's who we grew up with. And now like, you know, the next generation, they're seeing all these different players um, coming from MLS and having opportunities to like showcase their skills in like, you know, European clubs where that is a small club or a club, you know, uh, burgeoning middle of the club or, you know, some of the top, top clubs. Um, you know, um, we, we need to give MLS more credit um, than, than we give it, you know, of considering for a league that has been around for only 25 years, um, they created like right after the 94 World Cup, um, a lot of grassroots development. You know, um, half of uh, some clubs that have folded, some clubs that started and then folded, um, and like still creating um, a market, still creating new clubs. Um, you know, it's still a growing league, and, um, you know, every league has its growing pains. And I think the MLS might be coming out of theirs. And just because, you know, we send players to Europe doesn't mean they're going to turn into a star. There's for sure going to be some busts along the way. You know, not Aronson or McKenzie or soon-to-be Brian Reynolds. Those guys may or may not make it in Europe, but but that's okay. You know, we don't need all these guys to be – superstars they just need to to go out and and give it their best shot because the more players we send over the more successes we're going to have the more weston mckinney's and tyler adams and Sergio Dest we're going to have as opposed to having uh freddie adu or you know other bad americans abroad yeah yeah so definitely excited to see where mls goes um i think they have another club um opening as well um, I'm not totally this year, sure. Austin FC, yep. And then okay. next year, I think, is Charlotte or Sacramento. I'm, those are the next two clubs to come in. I'm just not sure which years they're coming back because they got pushed back because of the pandemic. So I think Sacramento is two years from now, and Charlotte's also two years from now. I'm not 100% sure, though. But, yeah, yeah. The, league is, the league is still growing. Yeah. So with that um, – that is soccer, not football. Twenty twenty. Um, any New Year's resolutions uh, that you have, personally, or just you just like soccer related? Um, it could be it could be anything, you know. Uh, I'm gonna try to personally. I think I'm gonna try to try to meditate more. You know, kind of get more in touch with my inner self. I've I've kind of tried that in the past. You know, off and on. Um, and it's helped me get better sleep, but I need to be more consistent with that. I think that's just something we can all do is to remember just to breathe and to to be calm for five or ten minutes a day and, you know, just not look at our phone or, you know, look at a screen. But USMNT-wise, I would say just just keep watching the the improvement of our players. I think 2020 was a, a pretty watershed moment for – our, our country's soccer program, you know, we had a, a ton of 
players take a step up to big clubs. And so far it's turned out almost better than we can imagine. You know, if you had said after 2018 that two years from now, we'd have players at Dortmund and Chelsea and Barcelona and Juventus. And I'm sure I'm forgetting some uh, Leipzig. I would have called you crazy. You know, you would have said not in a million years that could happen this quickly, but it has. And there's a whole new crop of kids coming below them. And I'm just excited to see where, where we go from here. Cause I think the U S is, I don't want to jinx them, but they're, they're budgeting on, you know, becoming a, a soccer power. We, our first, our first, uh, boss as i'll say is overtaking mexico mexico is going to be the the Concacaf king until we overtake them and mm-hmm. that's that's going to be the first hill and then after that we can move on to success out of world cup but that first that first boss is going to be mexico and i think we're a lot closer to to overtaking them than a lot of people are are realizing yeah yeah i think my new year resolution for the USNT qualify for the Olympics, qualify the Olympics, and then um, make some noise. Like really, like this is gonna be like a big stage, you know, before the World Cup. The World Cup's gonna 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 be in a in a year, about a year, and you know, this is gonna be like a first opportunity in the worldwide audience and comparing with you know other young players as well in like top powerhouses. So really like I really wish they would take the opportunity that they have and, you know, just go all out, you know, this is going to be their practice. You know, they won't have like a confederations cup or anything like that. Um, even if we, I don't know if we even qualify, but, um, this is going to, this is going to be like the first international competition for most of these guys. So really, I'm really looking forward to that. And then just personally, um, meditate. Um, definitely just uh, spread out my time more. Um, you know, do more projects that are passionate to me, like this baby right here. So, you know, glad to end 2020 with you doing this podcast. And then Absolutely. it's been, been yeah. fun. Let's hope we can keep making them throughout 2021 with, with filled with good news. That's what I'm hoping yes. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See you in December 32nd, 2020. <laughs> <Never mind. laughs> nah, see y'all. See y'all in 2021. This has been soccer, not football. Take care, be safe. And uh, until next time. Happy new year. Happy new year.